Blog Talk Radio. Introducing in the red corner, American Tennis! And introducing in the blue corner, your host for American Tennis, Mr. Chuck Reese! Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. again, this is Coach Chuck Creasy, and it's another week of American Tennis. Folks, I'm sorry about last week once again, and daggone it, stuff just keeps coming up that uh, throws me curveballs, and you know, you gotta gotta still be able to hit the curveballs, they say, uh, but I wasn't able to hit one last week, and so we didn't have a program, but we are back. And uh, going to keep it rolling now. I think between now and Christmas, I think all will be good. Um, I don't see anything that's going to take me out of commission. But golly, this is a tough time recruiting. I got to go to tournaments. You don't want to hear all that stuff. What am I doing? I'm starting to whine and complain and, and talk about everybody. You know how hard life is. Well, you know everybody's life is hard. And in the end, what I say, 80% of the people don't care you're having a problem. The other 20% are glad that you are. And uh, so, but I, I, I've got a great program and some great topics for you today. Uh, if you'll hang in there with me, uh, we've got a 30, about a 45-minute program today. We'll see how it goes, but um, I, I want to cover some stuff that is just so so important. Uh, I think that if you are a parent, if you're a coach, or especially if you're a youngster listening to this program, I think this is really, really important uh, that you that you that you try to listen and, and try to figure some of this stuff out. And um, you know, because this is this is something that cuts to the it, it hits right to the core of, I think, issues with what's going on with sports right now and what's going on with young people. And, you know, it, it's frightening. I heard this thing the other day that every 18 months, the technology in our country or the technology in the world doubles. It doubles every 18 months. And uh, <clears throat> all of us who were born with <laughs> days of black and white TV and, uh, 
every time I go to that computer, I hear a voice in the back of my head yelling, don't touch it, you'll break it. That would come from our parents whenever we tried to even touch the TV or something. Or Then, daggone, the remote controls and all that stuff came around. And then trying to program your VCR, that was a challenge. And now it's just flying. It's it, the stuff that, that is out there, and, and it's just coming at us nonstop. And we've got to try to do the best we can to stay up with it. I went up to see the great Daryl Cummins uh, oh, gosh, a month and a half or so ago, and uh, got a crash course on what we can do in tennis, how I can keep up. My effort and what I'm doing is I, I can do the basics, and I I can do the radio show each week, and uh, that's sort of good. And, and this other stuff, though, is just it's leaving all of us in the dust. But the young kids, it's it's just amazing how they're keeping up with it. But with so much information and so many things happening, um, I, I really believe that there is so much. Re- I've, I've often said this saying, statement that we have never had a situation in the whole world where there's so much communication, but there are so few relationships. And uh, this is we are like bumper cars now where we hit and go and we sort of deal in cliches and facts, but when it gets to opinions, feelings, and needs, we just a lot of times don't go there. It just takes too much time, a little bit too deep. We read half of the article. Uh, My wife always used to accuse me of skimming books. She would always say that, you know, Charlie, you'd sort of read the books. She calls me Charlie. I got to be Charlie when I go home. It's a coach Chuck mode it works at work, but it doesn't work at home. And I try to become, I uh, try to drop <laughs> off the coaching stuff as I go through the gate at home. But uh, we we all have stories like that. But she's, you know, she she often says to me, you know, um, that we've we've got to keep up with this and we've got to do the best we can. But basically. Uh, the relationships, we just don't go deep enough. And, uh, you know, most of, most of the time, it's we hit on the surface. We hit the surface issues, but she accuses me of half-reading books or going to the end of the book first. And, and I'll usually say, yeah, yeah, I know, I know about this. I've, I've read 8,000 coaching books, and uh, – Probably that's a big exaggeration, as you know. But anyhow, I've been in coaching a long time. So I've seen this before. I've done most of this. And uh, a lot of times I don't read in depth. But everybody does that now. Everybody just sort of reads part of the article. They'll watch a video instead. Even kids, they'll watch a video instead of uh, reading. And I don't know what the heck that does to everybody's mind. Can't be good. Reading is so much better as you deep, you dive in and read something and you visualize it and you see it in your own way that is unique to you instead of seeing the same video everybody else sees. But everybody sort of piecemeals thing. Now, I want to make this statement. I believe young people today and ourselves maybe as well, we do not do linear thinking anymore. We don't think in terms of... uh, deferred gratification, and if I do this, then this happens, then this, then that leads to that. Uh, 
In other words, the deferred gratification that we know, we call it the law of the farm in some psychology books, they call it that, where you you have to get the soil ready, you've got to plant the crops, you've got to plant, treat the crops, you've got to groom the crops, you've got to weed the, weed the crops, you've got to put the right nutrients on there, and then you've got to harvest the crops, and you You've got to do all those steps with anything, and definitely with learning sports and learning a sport like tennis, you have to do this. Just a side note, I heard the great Arthur Ashe speak three or four times when um, back years ago, but he did give a great talk one time at a camp I worked at in 1972, if you can believe that. But I do believe, I do remember him saying that to all you youngsters, it takes five years to learn how to play tennis. It takes 10 years to be a champion. So just understand this sport is hard, and there's many, many layers to it, and there's a lot of depth to it. <clears throat> now, can you imagine <clears throat> telling kids straight up right now, it takes five years to learn how to do this, <laughs> and 10 years, I mean, you've got to do that with piano, don't you? Don't you have to do that with the violin? How bad does the violin sound after the, even after the first year? There's nothing more beautiful in the world as a great violinist. There's nothing more tragic in the whole world than having to listen to a bad one. And, and uh, the, the good violinist can make you cry, but the bad violinist makes you scream. It sounds like a screeching cat. Uh, and so, I mean, so point is tennis is this kind of a sport. It takes a long, long time to learn. And that's, he was just talking about the physical part of the game. He wasn't even talking about the mental, maybe he was, he was talking about the mental and emotional part, I would guess too. That's, that's most of what happens after the first five years. But who goes around now and says, do any of the teachers say at your first lesson, listen, this is a very hard game. It takes five years to learn, 10 years to be a champion. Who, who says this at an academy to parents anymore? You know, uh, Mrs. Smith, Mrs. Jones, or Mr. Smith, Mr. Jones, your little son Billy here, he, uh, or Sally, she, she looks like a great athlete, but it's going to take five years for her to learn the game. 10 years to be a champion or 10 years to be really, really good. Who, who would say that? Because Mr. Smith, Mrs. Jones, or whoever it is would take little Sally or little Billy, go across town where they say, hey, we've got the microwave program here. We got the Insta Tennis. And guess what? We've got this new super boron rackets that help you learn tennis immediately. Boy, did I get a revelation. I've got so many stories, folks. I don't want to get sidetracked here. I, I've got to get on to the real point. Um, but, you know, I had a parent. I, I knew it was a different age. I had a parent a few years back. Um, their, their, their youngster didn't have a very good backhand when he came to uh, college. And, and they just had a pretty good forehand, pretty good serve, pretty good hand-eye coordination, pretty good athlete, no backhand. Crummy, crummy technical skills. So I took the high-tech babble blot, sorry, I better not make fun of Babelot. Sorry out there if you're a Babelot guy, but I've just never liked the Babelots because I always felt like it was playing, it was like playing basketball with gloves on. It gives you big results quickly, but great results never. And, and uh, 
you know, I'd said it's always like it's like playing basketball with gloves. On so anyhow, this guy had a super duper. I always called it the Babylon Bumblebee, the one that uh, Nadal used. First of all, Nadal is he's customized those rackets. Believe me, it's not the same Bumblebee you get in the store. But this kid had the super duper Bumblebee Babylon racket. And he sprayed balls everywhere. And he couldn't hit two balls within 10 yards of each other. Even though, oh, it feels good, great coach. It feels great. I can really make great contact with this uh, babble lot bumblebee. <laughs> and so the first thing I did the first month is I took that out of his hand and I gave him this uh, racket that was strung with tighter string patterns, 95 you know, pretty much like if you want your youngster to learn how to play, uh, I gave my youngsters whenever I can the old uh, Wilson Pro Staff. Uh, you know, or you know, even even though the Prince Graphite, I know a coach that's really a good coach has every one of his youngsters. If they want to train with this coach, they have to use the old Prince Graphite. Just basically the First Prince Graphite, tight string patterns, thin thin head. They, you can feel the ball. There's much more. It's much more than result, by the way, with rackets. You, when you can feel the ball, it gives you a dopamine rush when you do it well, and you want to do it again and again and again. But whenever you get a high-tech racket like the Bumblebee, and you can't feel the ball, and you hit this rocket forehand, but you don't, it feels just... Sort of the same, but it goes five different places. Uh, no good. Long story short is I was given the long-term deferred gratification coaching deal to this uh, youngster. And he go, oh, coach, coach, well, my game's going down. My game's going down. When his father visited, I, he said, why are you having my son switch rackets? I go, well, here's why. I want his stroke to be good. I don't want just the racket to be good and to do the work. I want his stroke to be good. He's just a freshman. He's got a long career ahead of him. Let's, Dad, so I just don't understand that. I just don't understand that. He's going to play worse with that other. I, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Then I realized the father was 20 or 30 years younger than me and had not come up and uh, learned how to do it the hard way first, deferred gratification Linear thinking is not something I, I think that most people do now. The deferred gratification um, approach is something that is is being lost or has been lost. So they say that youngsters now think in piecemealing or short-term. They call it the mosaic thinking. You just piecemeal. You want to figure something out, you go to Facebook, or not Facebook, Facebook, well, I guess, Facebook, uh, you go to Google, if you want to, you just look it up on your computer if you want to figure something out. So the mosaic generation, instead of linear thinking and and deferred gratification, and um, all of you have heard about the marshmallow test, I'll just repeat it very quickly, the guy just died actually. Um, golly, about a month or so ago I saw, but the guy came up in the 60s with the marshmallow test with with youngsters who, so what he did was he gave, uh, got 10, 5, or 6-year-olds, 
and he had him sitting at a table, and he had a bag of marshmallows, and he passed one out to everybody, and then he goes, all of the kids, and he says, now listen, you have a choice. You can either eat that marshmallow now, you can have that marshmallow, or if you wait 15 minutes, what I'll do is I'll give you another marshmallow. You can have two. You can have another marshmallow for waiting. Your choice, so whatever you want. And only three kids or two kids out of the ten waited for 10 or 15 minutes to get a second marshmallow. The rest of the kids stuffed that first marshmallow in their mouth and said, no, no way, man, I, I want it now. The point being is that, of course, the study went through the 60s and the 70s, and they followed these kids, and the, the ones that waited for the second marshmallow, and they did what an approach of deferred gratification, they, they absolutely were more successful in their lives. They were the, the ones who were doctors or lawyers or whatever, and, and they had a much better life. Now, how do you explain that? That was back in the 60s. How do you explain now, what do you do now in our computer generation where we have immediate gratification by just pushing a button? They actually have said that the cell phones have hijacked, listen, folks, listen to this, this uh, statement. Cell phones have hijacked the dopamine rush of the brain to where kids now get a shot of dopamine when they hit their cell phone when they go to their cell phone whether they watch a they go to snapchat or they go to a video or this cell phone basically is giving them the dopamine rush by the way that a hitting a shot in basketball swish or that perfect contact with a tennis racket on a tennis ball, by the way, with wood rackets. Look, I, I, if I was in charge of tennis in America, you know what I would do? I would take away all high-tech rackets from kids for about two years. And I would give them either a wood racket or a the old Pete Sampras uh Wilson Pro Staff, so that the kids got a dopamine rush from the contact of the ball. <clears throat> Again, high-tech rackets are like shooting, playing basketball with gloves on. You never, ever feel the texture of the ball with high-tech rackets. High-tech golf clubs, high-tech rackets, aluminum bats instead of wood bats, my son's baseball team, uh, the, the coach is pretty just darn good. I'm so happy he's got these coaches. The coaches worked the fool out of them first. I said, put it on them. It's the only way they're going to get better. But they use wood bats at practice a lot, and that's cool. And a lot of people are finding out that they're, the hitting in baseball is picked up when they use wood bats. You, wanna, you want somebody to learn how to volley? Give them old wood racket. Teach them how to volley with wood rackets. That's how you get better. You feel the spin of the ball. You feel when the ball hits the sweet spot. You had 10 balls with a wood racket. You might make all 10. Now, you make all 10, but you'll go, nope, nope, almost, almost. There's the sweet spot once. Nope, nope, missed it, missed it, missed it. Oh, almost, almost. 
I hit the sweet spot twice in 10 balls. When you get really, really good with a wood racket, you might hit it seven or eight times, but it sings to you like the sweetest song on a summer night. When you hit that sweet spot and you hit that tennis ball, you get a dopamine rush. Dopamine rush. I tell the article I was working on, and I still haven't completed it, the three drugs that I got from playing tennis when I was a kid at the park, okay? Dopamine, adrenaline, and endorphins. In the end, the cell phones are giving dopamine rushes to our kids' brains. They're getting dopamine rushes from other sources, and that is as simple as it is the addiction of these cell phones. And I don't want to go off on this, uh, but great article. It was in the Wall Street Journal about a month ago about how a lot of athletes around the country are hooked on this game Fortnite. And, folks, I cannot tell you how harmful this probably is. We had a guy that used to do that, and he got hooked on that thing. He was doing three hours a day, wasting three hours a day. And then one of the persons, oh, no, coach, it's it's the best way I can keep up with my friends, and it's fun, and this uh, three hours. And, And so, but how do you get hooked on something like that? It sounds preposterous. Well, the dopamine rush of the brain is very, very powerful. All right, so the name of the program we're going to get to here are dreams possible when there's so much reality in our society. Can our kids really go for dreams? Do our kids really go for dreams? What's really happening? There's so many aspects I could track here. I mean, the role models. Are the role models really the role models we want? I mean, where? I mean, we've got the people out there. The Drew Bre- Drew Brees is so great to watch. Um, I got a um, friend whose son wrote an essay about uh, setting goals, and he said, in pro football, his favorite person is Drew Brees. He said, when Drew Brees broke the record the other night. Now, this this young man is eleven, eleven year old, thinking this deep. He goes. When Drew Brees broke the, the the NFL record for most passing yards the other night, he was extreme big. He's very humble. He didn't say extreme. He said he's very humble in giving credit to other people. And guess and he also did not jump up and down and throw a big a big uh, get really excited. He he acted like he had been there before. He said also my other uh idol I, I love is Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning came on the TV then and congratulated Drew Brees. These are two people that I would like to be like. Now, there are the Peyton Mannings and there are the Drew Breeses. And Steph Curry, I think, is, is a daggone good role model. I think in tennis you have Roger Federal. My golly, we will never see someone like him. Just someone who just respects and honors the sport so, so much. And then there are your jerks out there. There are your jerks out there that that put the spotlight on themselves. Well, 
Point is, we could go in that direction completely about why kids' dreams are shriveling up. We could go to the direction of what the heck is going on with Facebook, fake book. Everybody's a hero on fake book. It wears you out trying to keep up with the millions of accomplishments of everybody on Facebook. And, you know, everybody is trying to outdo somebody else by telling a story about how good they are at what they do. Well, I, I guess it's a good way to keep up. I guess it's a good thing to, to do. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, I know Daryl Cummins was telling me, man, Chuck, you got to be on Facebook and keep up with it. But I still don't understand that when everybody has accomplishments, nobody really does. When everybody gets a trophy, nobody really does. I guess we could talk about the participation trophy mentality about, you know, when everybody gets a trophy, who really has is, is, is a winner? No, nobody. Nobody. When nobody's a loser, you know, it, you know it's it really nobody wins. And uh, it's just part of the deal, and it's part of the reason I believe people are not getting hooked on sports. You've heard me say many times that winning is supposed to feel good, and losing is supposed to hurt. There are no safe zones for you. When you lose, you basically just have to take it and learn from it. The pain engages the brain. Whatever happened to that saying? Pain engages the brain. Now, go to your safe spot. And please don't try to hurt too much. Or just have fun with it, honey. Just have, if I hear more, one more Little League parent say, just have fun, just have fun. When the base is loaded, bottom of the ninth, and you're pitching and you got the batter to a full count. You either win or lose on one, one pitch. <laughs> if I hear one more parent go, oh, just have fun, honey. I, it makes you crazy if you've been in sports for a long, long time. The kid has to be like Ollie in the movie Hoosiers. They've got to be able to step up, and when their rear end starts to quiver, they still have to deliver. It takes time. It takes failing first. It takes going through pain. It takes all those things. But those are side things that I could talk about very easily for a long time today that I'm not going to. I want to get to the technology part of things, and I want to talk about are dreams really possible when there's so much reality. So last year we played the University of South Carolina, and I'm we're at the Citadel. And the University of South Carolina is a top 10 team, I believe, this year, and top 15 last year, and they're going to beat us. They're better. So we played them a doubleheader, but Josh Goffey is one of my former players, and I asked him, Josh, at the end of the match today, would you please take time and talk to my players? You know, they respect you a lot, and whatever you say would, 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 would really have merit. So Josh got us everybody into a small classroom. Uh, it is beautiful tennis stadium they have at the University of South Carolina. And uh, my son actually got to have his baseball buddy there. He was there that day. And he got to sit in too. So Josh starts out and he says, fellas, let me tell you a story about myself. When I played at Clemson, 
I was a freshman in 1998. In the 1999, I was a sophomore. In my freshman year, I got to play a lot. But in the sophomore year, I was improving a lot. And something happened to our number one guy. And we were on a trip out to Texas. And Coach put me in at number one for the first time. Now, as exciting as it should be, and it was, it was scary also, and I had great aspirations that I would do good. But I went out on the court against TCU that day, and I got pelted. I got destroyed. I didn't have an answer. I got beat 6-2-6-1, and I was the first person off of the court. And he said to um, my guys, he says, now, I came off the court, and I didn't want to be anywhere near coach. He says, I just sort of went over and hid over behind the stands a little bit and sat there, threw my rackets down in the bag, sat there, and then it started. And he says, let me tell you what the next hour was about. The next hour was I was embarrassed first. Then I was mad, threw my rackets down. Then I was just plain, the pain was coming up, and I just want to run from it. He said, then he said, I got angry in a way and just started questioning myself. I went through all of this doubting. He said, wait a minute. We got in the van. We had to drive back to Arlington, Texas from Fort Worth. We were staying in Arlington halfway between Fort Worth and Dallas. He said, in that next hour, I went through the embarrassment, the anger, the, the getting mad, the, the quiet. The, all, of these, all of these emotions came into my head that I had to deal with. By the time that I, the doubt, the doubt, the self-doubt was the one that crept in there the most after I lost so badly. I'm just not good enough. And then he said, by the time I got back to the hotel, I'd made a few notes. And I started thinking, look, my my second serve is just too weak. That guy was teeing off on my second serve. And he said, "And, and by the way, he said, you know, I, I realized that the guy went after my backhand and I wasn't disciplined with with where my first my first exchanges on the backhand side. I didn't just pull the ball cross court. I was trying to do too much. And by the way, my body language, I I let my shoulder slump. By the way, I showed emotion. By the way, he said I made some things, some notes down, and then he said I was still hurting when we got out of the van at the hotel. I I always heard you say, turn bad pain into good pain, and I went out and took a run. I went out and ran, and I ran, and I ran. I must have run a mile and a half or two miles. We had a match the next day, but it didn't matter. I had to do something with this pain. I got back to the hotel, but here's the point. I had a plan, and the hotel had a tennis court, and I drug out one of our scrubs, one of the seven or eight guys, on a team that wasn't playing, and I had that guy work with me and feed me some balls. Now, here's the point. The point is, we didn't have any cell phones. We didn't, we, there was no cell phone to go to. He said, guys, 
I don't allow the cell phone at practice. The guys got to put it in their locker. I don't allow it an hour before the match or an hour after the match. You don't dare go to that cell phone. That cell phone is nowhere to be found on our tennis courts. And this is why. There are threshold moments of learning that you must take advantage of. You must recognize, identify, and take advantage of them when you get there. Those are the chance for learning, but you must go through this whole range of emotion. Say, guys, even if it's you get a Snapchat, a quick Snapchat, and you say, wait a minute, I'm back there sitting behind the stadium hiding from coach, and I get this buzz on my phone. I look at it, and it says, hey, how are you doing today? This is, this is Bobby Sue. How'd you do? And then you text her back or something. He says that alone takes away from the opportunity to learn. It is necessary to go through those threshold moments. So that was that was a, just a fantastic, fantastic, um, you know, statement that he made. Now I want to put the solution part on here uh, to to this. I believe when you fail, I've often said there's a statement that you name it, you claim it, and then you tame it. That is what you must do after you go through hardship and some threshold moments. You name it, you claim it, you tame it. Do not name it, claim it, and then blame it. No, not name it, claim it, blame it. But here is the point. With cell phones, what happens is you name it, then you blame it, and then you rearrange it. You, you change it into something that is not even identifiable. So yesterday had a gut check with my team at the track. So it's been about a month, about five weeks since we had to run the mile for time. And I'm very proud of the fitness that the Citadel guys, and you won't find a more fit team than the Citadel, nor Clemson when we train. Fitness is what a coach must do. And out there, coaches, if you're afraid of training your people, if your players ever run out of gas, it's your fault. If they ever think wrong, act wrong, have wrong emotions on the court, that's their fault. But if the mental and emotional part is on them, but if their physical game is not right, I always tell the players, your game isn't right, or if you're fit, not fit, that's on me. So I vowed I will always have my players fit. Well, yesterday we went to the track. So two days ago I sent the guys an email, and I said we're going to be going to the track and uh, be ready to run the mile. And just just be ready because it's going to be very, very hard. And I want to see where we're at right now, guys. All right. So let, let me, I'm going to read you the email I sent out to the guys today. But, guys, to say the very least, yesterday was disappointing and then very, very un, unexpected. For whatever reason, nearly everyone underachieved. I know that each and every one of you will, dis, will agree when you look at the times below. Now, I put here. The gut check. There's very good reasons why some things are called a gut check. A real gut check is not something that you're really prepared for. It is not something that is ordinary that you have a lot of time to think about. It's not, 
It usually comes to you guys like a storm. It makes you decide immediately where you are going to go mentally and emotionally in trying to address or where you go in not addressing it. That's a big point. Where they hide. Do they go to their safe zone? There are many, many ways of addressing a gut check or not addressing a gut check. There's many ways as there are people in the whole world. Everyone has their way of addressing it. Everyone has a unique way of attacking or not attacking things when they really get hard. The main reason that I've always had my players, here's the point, everybody, you coaches out there are players, that I've for 41 years I've had them run the mile for time, and it's only five minutes of terrible pain, a lot of pain. It has only somewhat to do with conditioning. It has much more to do with much more that each and every person be forced to go to that place in their own being where they have to look deeply in the mirror of their the mirror of their heart, mind and spirit to see where they are at. Then the quest becomes for them to address things that are not ha- they are not happy about and how to improve things to grow and how to grow within themselves until they finally can look in the mirror and they know that they know that they know I I am and will be strong enough to handle it when the storm hits. Guys, this is the whole reason why we play sports. There's very little to do, and I put, sorry, but discussing, maybe it's bad. Guys, it has very little to do with the dipshit and shallow ideas that circulate out there that you play sports for glory and fame. It's 100% about the gut check and the learning. Yes, the learning, because no one, this is important, can do it well without learning how to do it right and do it well under pressure and pain. At first, you must fail. It's the whole reason you're here, guys. Other places sometimes just give you the window dressing comfort that makes you feel good. You go to your safe spot. It feels good. But that stuff wears off quickly, like, and it folds like a cheap tent when the storm of life comes. Guys, I will be brief in telling you that we only had about four of you really attack the gut check. Three or four, it's very disappointing. You went to your safe zones. And most of you went to that place of just surviving, and surviving is never thriving. By the way, in the end... Yes, surviving is not thriving, and you are either going to be green and growing or ripe and rotting throughout your life, no matter your circumstances. Anyhow, pretty much I've said said enough, and I just challenge him that, hey, listen, if we're working too hard, let the captains know, and it will put our energy into the people who really are going to go the distance with a gut check and The point is, stay the course, stay on the bus. It's the greatest ride that you can ever take. And you're with a great group of people who have dreams and goals. You can do it if you decide. And, And folks, as a coach, as a mom and a dad, we all want our kids to be tough. We just hate to see them go through tough times. But I always tell my guys, I hate to see you suffer, but I hate more to see you lose because you and it's not the losing it's the fact of not going through what you need to go through 
and in in the process. I always say at the end of my show, you're in the process of winning and losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with a win or a loss. Well, the winning has to do with attacking the gut checks. The winning or the losing has to do with what it means to address it and grow. But here's the point. We are not born with toughness. We have to learn it. Also, I really believe this from the bottom of my heart. If you ask people, do you really believe? I heard this on Dennis Prager, actually, this morning, who's who I just think is fantastic. Look him up. Prager University, P-R-G-A-G-E-R. Golly, the guy is tremendous wisdom. But he said, he said very, when he was about 35, he asked a person, do you really believe that all people are naturally good? And the guy said, yes. He said, well, how can that be so? Our human nature is not good. Our human nature, folks, is not good. Our human nature is to take what is easy, to take what is comfortable, to do those things that give us immediate dopamine rushes to our brain, to do those things on, to pre- present ourselves, present a package like we're successful, and somehow get gratification. It is not the deferred gratification is not a natural thing to do. You must be learn. You must learn it. Now I talk many many times on the program about the great book, The Talent Code. Uh, I'm reading now from <clears throat> Chapter Four, uh, the rules of deep practicing and the rules of they say you need to have a rage to master. But they have a thing, and I've already cussed once. I guess I can do it again here. But in his book, in his books, uh, Daniel Coyle says, there's a phenomena that he calls the holy shit effect. Holy shit, what just happened? This happens when you have an athlete that's, Plodding along, plodding along, plodding along, and then they do something stupendous. You go, whoa, what just happened there? Now, the point is, he says, usually the person that goes through the holy shit effect is not, they, you're on the outside, the people observe it, they observe it, the person who lives it, it's just another day for them. It's the sum total of thousands and thousands of reps of deferred gratification of working for a long-term goal and doing the right things just because they're right over and over and over again and failing and getting up and failing and trying again. Failing and failing better. You must fail. Uh, Does Daniel Coyle, this book's fantastic. Get it for your kids. Read it. If you're a coach, you have to read it. But the holy shit effect is not the feeling of hearing, he says, a Pavarotti singer, a Willie Mays, they're just one in a billion. Willie Mays hit a baseball. You know, they, 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 they're just, they, they're one in a million. It comes from that, that normal person plods along, plods along, plods along. It's like Arthur Ashe said, the first five years takes five years to learn, ten years to be a champion. Somewhere between year five and year ten, that holy shit effect happens. Holy crud. What just happened? The person who has it, it's a natural thing. Nothing special. They just get it, and it's just a very natural process. But here's here's the other thing about it. What um, When we have an addiction, 
to the mosaic successes, piecemealing things and not having deferred gratification, it nothing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. What do we go after? Well, we go after the addiction. I'm going to say something here that's quite terrifying to me. My son, my son is 42, reads a lot. He's a brilliant man. He sent me an article. It said, you know, um, what they figured out, We they always, on the old twilight zones and everything, they tried to say that, you know, one day computers and machines would be like people. But they didn't do that. They worked backwards. They're making people act like computers. They're People are becoming like computers. They're programming us with everything they do in these computers. So, folks, I'm asking you as a parent to name it, claim it, tame it. Yeah, we're all going to have cell phones. Yep, we're all going to have to get good on Facebook. Yep, we're all going to have to (coughs) deal with this technology that doubles every year and a half, every 18 months. We're going to have to deal with it. We're going to have to live with it. But we need to be aware. we got to be aware of the, the dragon that is out there behind the door in, in what this is really about. we got to keep our kids in sports. we got to keep making goals hard for them to succeed in. We've got to dump the... As, as we always say, the participation mentality, that participation breeds excellence. Excellence breeds participation. Participation does not breed excellence. Participation breeds mediocrity and average. And getting addicted to dopamine from sources that have hijacked the natural dopamine givers from the brain We're in a danger zone there with our kids, folks. I I don't know how else to say it. I've been in coaching a long time. But please be aware of it. And that story that Coach Goffey at the University of South Carolina told, it surely had an impact on me. And I knew something was going on with these cell phones and these computers. They're not, they're not, look, they're a great tool. We get to do, I, I get to do this blog talk radio program because of computers. Hey, I get to call my wife five times a day. I get to text my daughter sometimes. But you know, I, I would I would use with your kids, use flip phones where they can text and talk on the phone only. Keep them off the internet as long as you can. Try to keep books in the house. Try to keep them read them. Try to keep them in sports. Try to keep and listen, any of the coaches out there that are too easy on your kids, prompt them to be tougher on your kids. We don't want after-school activity. We want vigorous sports. We want tennis. Tennis, look, tennis is the hardest of all sports. It is the best of all sports. It is chess for the mind. It challenges every part of your body, mind, and spirit. You will be in it. Your kids will be in it the rest of their lives if it is taught that way. But if it's taught as something, a quick fix for fame and fortune ain't going to happen, folks. Your kids won't stick with it. They will not stick with it. And, uh, folks, 
hate to tell you, dang, I have so much more to say, but we is out of time, and we got to go. I want to remind you that you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with a win or a loss. God bless each and every one of you, and the hard route, the deferred gratification, that's the route to go. In the end, that's the one that will stretch us. God bless you. See you next time. This Come